Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. You guys can grab a seat. I always find it interesting how uh, we can operate one way really, really like incredibly patient and then the exact same day with an exact si- different situation be incredibly impatient. Like if you've ever pictured, uh, if you've ever been a parent or you've seen parents, maybe you've seen this out in public or whatever, where there's that data, that mom that's like bent over, hurting their back, holding the hands of the child as the child's trying to learn how to step and how patient People can be with that. It's like, rarely do you see parents like kicking and be like, come on, figure it out. Like, let's go. Or just tell them to stand up and walk. Like, it's a process that we can be so, so patient. And I'm, I'm baffled by myself. Like, when I was doing that with my kids, my kids were all late walkers, which explains a lot about them. I'm just kidding. I don't know what that means. Sorry. Um, but uh, they were late walkers. And I remember even in that process, like, I wanted them to walk. But, but going from crawling to walking, like, I believed that they were going to walk at some point, and so it felt like every bit of that bending over and encouraging and, and trying to get them to come to you was, was worth the effort because we, we assumed that they would walk. And unless, unless there's a disability, most parents believe that their kids are going to walk, so they think that the time put into helping them walk is, is worth it because the fruit of them walking will actually come at some point. Yet in the same day, I can find myself, it's been so long, I can't remember, but like holding this and helping my son learn to walk and then turning and being incredibly impatient with my wife. Once I did that, I think. Someone's laughing. <laughs> Someone's laughing because they're like, hit a little too close to home, apparently. Um, and it's, it, it's interesting how we can be so patient for kids to develop because it's something that we see is coming. But when it comes to our spiritual journey or us walking with one another, we find ourselves so impatient. At least I, I find myself so impatient. I'm impatient with the lack of understanding that I'm operating with in certain situations. I find myself annoyed or frustrated with the people around me and the lack of understanding or, or maturity that they're displaying with the age with which they should be in the body of Christ. And I, I see this kind of happening over, over, and over again. And it got me thinking about patience really kind of depends on the value of where we're going, like, if we, if we value where we're going, it's tied to also what is needed to get there. This idea with the kid walking, it's, it's easy to be patient with a kid because the value is the kid will then be walking. You don't see a lot of 15-year-olds without disabilities just crawling around to get to anywhere. Like, they have figured it out. I had a friend tell me his kid didn't want to get rid of the binky, and he's like, you just don't see a lot of 18-year-olds walking around with binkies in their mouth, so he'll figure it out at some point. This is something that, like, it, it makes sense, but when it comes to spirituality, man, I... I am so not patient with myself or others. And I, and I think as, as a whole, we, we find ourselves so impatient when we get to um, experiencing the sanctification journey of the body of Christ, experiencing people growing and maturing in the Lord as he's completing what he promised he would complete and had already begun in us. Uh, the author of Hebrews, you see him talking about this. He says in, in chapter 5, verse 12 through 14, he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The apostle Paul talks about this as well in 1 Corinthians 3. 
And, and it's important for us to understand one thing. This is not a, a, a growing in your value of, of God valuing you. It's not talking about this. You are still deeply loved, valued because of who you are in him. It's not, it's not a maturation process that's like, oh, if I do more, God will love me more. That's not what he's talking about here. But there is this, this understanding, this maturation of being able to crawl and walk and understanding the Lord and knowing him more intimately. And, and as God is completing the work that he began in us, making us look more and more like his son, Jesus Christ, who we are co-heirs with as adopted sons and daughters. And so this is where we find ourselves in James. In fact, uh, this is the slides that Ryan put together. It's brilliant. His little Legos. I think he, I actually remember, I think he has this Lego at home. This is an actual picture. He really spent some, I'm just kidding, I don't know. Um, but godly perspective is where we find ourselves. The outline that he's been putting, which has just been wonderful, is, is this. We find ourselves in James 5, 7 through 11. This is the patient endurance. And as Ryan has laid this out, he's like, this is a section where James seems to be like doing these small kind of vignettes of, of hey, here's how your perspectives are different than God's perspective. Let's, let's see those together and coming. And last week, Ryan hit the beginning of chapter five, talking about money. I would encourage you to listen to it. If you didn't hear it, it was wonderful. It was not just about money, um, but um, really, really good stuff. And so this is where we find ourselves. So I'll dig in chapter five. Verse 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until, coming, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also, verse 8, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And as I was talking with Ryan this week about this, uh, he was telling us how if you read through this section of scripture, every single sentence except for one has the word patient or need for endurance or steadfastness in it. So you see that this section is really talking about this godly perspective of what is, what is, what is patience, like enduring patience. What is it? What does patience in suffering look like? And so James starts this with kind of a positive one, a, a, an analogy that every single person this day would understand. The early and the late rains were something that every farmer knew in this time. They, they relied heavily on them. They relied on the early rains to soften the soil so they can get things in place, and the late rains to bring life to the crop. And, the, and this picture is, as James is saying, be like the farmers, be patient like the farmers. Who, who do their work. They're not just sitting around and waiting for something. They do their work, but they also know that, that regardless of how hard they work and how much time they spend in on it, they're still reliant on God bringing the rain. They're still reliant on God doing his work for it to happen. And so as one scholar says it, what does it mean to be patient until the Lord's coming? It means to do what God also is doing. Enduring human evil for receiving. James' authoritative, authoritative counsel is not revolution or a taking of justice into one's own hand. This judgment is not within their rights, but God's who will judge oppression in his time. So patience doesn't have to do with just this idea of, of I'm waiting for something, but he's also coming off of, if you remember what Ryan was talking about last week, they're being kind of exploited and treated poorly by the rich in this area. And so James is saying, no, 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 we must be patient. Don't, don't run to... to trying to find vindication there. God will take care of that. Be patient like the farmer who knows that, that, that I can only do so much. God's in control. Any good that's going to come is going to come from God. Anything that's, that's, that's of value is going to be his and done in his timing. Be patient like the farmer. When he says, establish your heart in this day, the, Lord is, the Lord's coming, uh, Ryan spent a lot of time last week unpacking the idea of the Lord's coming and, and the presence of it, especially in, the, in relation to 
the end times. I would encourage you to just go back and listen to that if you didn't hear it, or if you, you did and you forgot, go back and listen. I'm not going to unpack it because he did a brilliant job of it last week. But this idea of establishing your heart, he, he points to two different things in this text. Verse 8 goes into verse 9. We'll get there in just a second. That establishing heart actually has something to do with the way that we grumble, but it also has a meaning of standing firm in the faith. This idea of not giving way to doubt. And especially when you think about patience in in general, the the times I find myself most impatient is when I've given way to doubt. When I doubt that God is working in my own life or that he's working in someone else's life or he's working in my marriage or in my parenting or, or in the situations I find myself in. When I'm riddled with doubt, that's when I find myself most impatient. And so uh, 1 Thessalonians 3.13 tells us this way, that when it talks about establishing a heart, we see that that is also a work of the Lord. It says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So even our, our need for our hearts to be established is a work of God in us. It's not a white knuckling, grab it, I gotta figure out how to do it. It's like, no, resting in the faith that is a gift to us. It's who we are in Christ. What James has been talking about this whole time, what Ryan's been laying out this whole time, be true to who you already are in Christ. Live as the child of God. Live as the son and daughter adopted in. Live as the co-heir of Christ, the one who, this is not home. Our home is the new heavens and the new earth. Live true to that. So James is is asking us to to be patient. And at, at at first glance, it seems like it's just, being patient in general, although I think that is true. He's, he comes to a very pointed example of that. Um, real quickly before we get there, one scholar says it this way. He says, exercise patience as you wait for and look for the coming of the Lord. And that is key, I believe, in this. Because it's one thing to just be like, hey, guys, be patient. Figure it out. He, he tells us why we're going to be patient, what we're being patient for. We're being patient for the coming of the Lord. Just like the fruit of the child going from holding onto your fingers and walking to walking on their own, we are, we are walking, holding on hands, but there will be a day we walk free of all the brokenness in the coming of the Lord in his kingdom. So our patience has a motivation. It's not to just endure this life. It's like, no, no, because, because something greater is coming. Be patient. Uh, a scholar says it this way. It says, the attitude that James calls us on to adopt here then includes resignation in the face of suffering along with confident expectation of a day when the fortunes of this life will be reversed. And then negatively, James is also probably implicitly forbidding his readers from taking vengeance on their oppressors. And look, God, God is going to do this. He, James comes right out of this section of being patient, going right into verse 9, and we'll read that right now. It says this. It says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. That's the present right now. Again, I encourage you to go back and listen to what Ryan said last week. This this sentence almost seems out of place. And some scholars are like, what is it doing right here? And when I was was talking with Ryan this last week, he just brilliantly helped me understand. Like, no, I think what he's talking about is this grumbling. When you look at the word for it and what it means, it's specifically to groan or sigh. Most often the way it and its compound version is used all over scripture is in, in, in relation to oppression or potentially like judgment coming on. And it's a groaning, a sighing that happens. You see it all over in scripture, in Exodus, all over. And almost always it is, it is a groaning that is, is happening to the Lord because of the judgments that are happening. But in this context, in the way it's being used, is to make a judgment at someone else. 
And this is so important for us to understand here. It is, it is vital for us to recognize that we are to be patient when suffering and struggling and, and trials and difficulty. Well, that's when we are most impatient. And that's when we're most likely to turn and grumble at someone else. And what he's saying here is not that we are to just be patient with others. He's saying we need to be patient with the work that God is doing in others as we are patient with the work he's doing in us. So when I look at Gabe, and I'm like, Gabe, I just, you should know better right now. I'm sorry, I'm poking on you. I'm sorry, there you go. You should know better now. You're, you're, what's wrong? Why aren't you here yet? My frustration isn't at Gabe. My frustration is actually at the Lord saying that he's not doing what he said he would do in Gabe. And I'm making a judgment on Gabe before his time that I have no right making. We, we talked about this over the, all of James has been talking about it. We've been talking about this idea of what God has given to us. We talked about the same thing on, on Resurrection Sunday. It is easier for me to recognize that I am to be forgiving of others when I'm reminded of just how much God has forgiven of me. Well, the same thing applies to patience. It's really much easier for me to be patient with Gabe or anyone else when I recognize just how patient God has been with me. God has to be so patient with me. I'm so impatient and so probably frustrating for God to lead at times, but yet he still graciously, lovingly, carefully, beautifully continues to work out my salvation, helping me complete the work that he said he would do in me. How, how then can I be impatient in God working in someone else? And that's what it seems like James is getting at, is that there seems to be, because of all the myriad of issues that James is hitting at, there seems to be some impatience or frustration that's happening amongst brothers and sisters. You should know better by now. How dare you? This, this, this impatience of, God must not be at work in you. You've got more work to do, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push this along. I'm going to kick you as the baby walking and hope you can just start figuring it out. My frustration is actually with the Lord and his sanctification journey in, each, in others, not just in me. And my impatience is just proof that I've forgotten just how patient God is with me. So James is, is saying when we grumble at each other, we're making a judgment. We're saying that you're not what you're supposed to be and I'm the judge of that, as if I have a right to do that. And he's saying, no, 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 don't do that, because the judge is standing at the door. The judge, our Redeemer, is one of the same, our Savior. He's, he's standing at the door. He will do that. You don't have to judge your oppressors. You don't have to judge your brothers and sisters. You don't have to do any of that, because he's the one that will bring the judgment, and he's the true, just, holy God, only one capable of doing such a thing. When we experience trials, all kinds of trials, it's really easy for us to take our frustrations out on each other. Have anyone had a bad day and you came home and take it out on your, your family? Or is that just me? Okay, apparently it's just me. Cool. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. But we've all, we've all had that where you realize like, oh, I'm, I'm actually taking out what's happening to me on other people. It has nothing to do with those individuals. It has everything to do with my frustration with where I'm at. And what James does so wonderfully here is he, he turns this corner and he helps us focus on the prophets. Let's look, at, let's look at verse 10 and 11. He says this, he says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Verse 11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. comes to his, his very name, compassionate and merciful. And so what, what James does here, as we think about being patient with others, as we recognize God being patient with us, he now comes to and says, hey, here's another display of patience. Look at the prophets. And every good Jewish student of this day, his readers would know, oh man, their minds would go to all the prophets, thinking of, of all the people and all the things that they've done. 
and how they would continue to speak and they would continue to, to do God's work. And I love what he does here. James brings this up and I think it's so good because he, he brings this up in a way that helps us recognize that just because they were doing God's work does not mean there was no suffering. In fact, one scholar says it this way, James wants us to know that the prophets suffered in the cause of their God. They spoke in the name of the Lord, doing God's will. James is suggesting, James is suggesting will often, James is suggesting will often lead to suffering. What is needed is a willingness to bear up under the suffering, maintaining spiritual integrity, and waiting patiently for the Lord himself to intervene to transform the situation. It may also be that James cites the prophets because they were people who not only suffered injustice, but spoke out against it as well. Christians need to learn to suffer patiently as they wait, await the Lord's vindication. But this is not to say that they cannot speak out against evil. If you look at the prophets, you see people continuing to speak and encourage the people of God to live true to what God is asking them, only to watch the people stubbornly not do that. Just take one of the prophets. I mean, Jeremiah, just just give an example, is one of the prophets. He was put in stocks, thrown in prison, lowered into a dungeon, and yet he persisted in ministry. There's one thing that you hear today. I think this is something we must continue to remember. This is not home. And because this is not home, that means it is going to not look like, operate, or feel like home, and you will be a, a, a exile here. You will be someone that, that recognizes that if you live true to God's, you are not going to fit into this world. It's going to be difficult. I don't know where we lost sight and thought that, that being a Christian meant that we would have comfort in this day and age. Following Jesus means that it will be super easy and there will be no need for patience because, well, everything just goes the way we want it to go. That is nowhere in Scripture. In fact, all the people that were doing God's work You'd be hard-pressed to find one of them that had a season of life that was like fluffy butterflies and easy, fluffy bunnies and easy. I don't know if butterflies are fluffy, sorry. <laughs> fluffy bunnies. Now you'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to find that. So, so, so we need to get it out of our minds. I, I'm continually doing this myself. I, I love what Peter says. Do not be surprised by the fiery trials as if something were strange happening to you. Like we shouldn't be surprised by it. We should be more surprised when it's not happening. So I love that James comes to the prophets because you can't look at the prophets and go, oh, well, you know, they just, they just were patient because life was easy. It's like, no, they had to endure massive hostility from God's people while trying to give God's people God's message. And when we get to the heroes of the faith, we hear about all of them and, and what they did by faith in Hebrews. So it, it, it's, it, it's wonderful that James comes to this because he's saying, look, there's not, it's not going to be a shortage. It's not like you're going to be like, oh, man, I wonder if I'm going to have to work on patience this year because life is so easy. The reality is that this is going to be something that we will battle with until he comes again, which is why I think he tells us at the very beginning, be patient for the Lord's coming. Our motivation is that, hey, this is not home. <laughs> this is not forever. Forever is amazing, and it's coming. But right now, we're going to experience hardships and suffering and oppression, even potentially from within. It says, don't, don't grumble. Don't judge against either. Don't make a judgment on what God is doing. Be patient on what God is doing in your life, in others' lives. I love that he went to Job because Job, in, in a lot of ways, um, he, compl- he does complain. 
because it says, look at Job and his steadfastness. Like, well, I mean, man, he spent a lot of chapters complaining. But, but you do realize what Job was doing. And I think this is one thing that I would um, encourage all of you. If you look at all of our scripture, the, the psalmist David, Habakkuk, I mean, it is riddled with lots of people complaining and grumbling. Groaning and sighing is the way that this word would be used. But they're always doing it to the Lord. They're coming to the Lord and saying, God, what are you doing? How long, O Lord? Consider and answer me, Lord. They're going there. They're not making a judgment of saying, well, you're not enough and it's your fault. They're going to the Lord and saying, help me figure this out. Help me understand this. Like, you, you are the only one that can make sense of it. I mean, Job had to endure his best friend and his wife basically telling him to, like, renounce God and curse him and die. But you do see Job staying faithful all the way through. And he ends on this, like, and, and you can see God in his compassion and mercy. And, and this is a, a just, it's just a, a part of the name that is given as God passes in front of Moses of who God is. He just is compassionate and mercy. He says, we know this about God to be true, so then that makes the waiting easier. And not easier in like, oh, it'll be easier to endure, but no, easier in that we can display the patience that we are given through God by being his children. Remember this. As good as Job was at the beginning of the story, he was a better man after at the end of the story. And not because he had more stuff, but because he was able to understand and know God better. So Ryan said this a while ago. He said, what if the, the, the circumstances, the trials that you're going through are the very means by which God is going to bring about more knowledge and understanding of him? Wouldn't that give you motivation to be patient and steadfast and immovable in the trials you find yourself in? Doesn't it seem like that, that would be the motivation to recognize that like we will walk, we won't need the fingers held in our hands anymore? And the scholar says it this way. He says, when you find yourself in the furnace, go to the throne of grace and receive from the Lord all the grace you need to endure. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Remind yourself that the Lord has a gracious purpose in all of this suffering and that he will work out his purposes in his time and for his glory. You are not a robot caught in the jaws of fate. You are a loving child of God, privileged to be a part of a wonderful plan. Another scholar says it this way, and I love it. He says, if a man were, were to attack me with a knife, I would resist him with all my strength and count it a tragedy if he succeeded. Yet if a surgeon comes to me with a knife, I welcome both him and the knife. Let him cut me open even wider than the knife attacker because I know his purpose is good and necessary. Where do you find yourself in this time? Do you see your suffering or your friend's suffering, or maybe the suffering you're experiencing at the behest of your friend as something to just get past? Or do you believe that it quite possibly could be the way with which God is going to bring more knowledge of him and to make you more like Jesus through? If it's the latter, I, I'm inclined to believe we're going to be a lot more patient. We're willing to endure a lot more because we know that what we're doing, although this is hard and difficult, is nothing compared to where we're going and what we will be in him. Would you consider yourself a person of patience? Is it, it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. The growth in this isn't something to be achieved, but something to surrender to and God giving us and doing. 
Think about the process of farming again. I'm not a farmer, and if you saw my yard, you'd be like, yeah, you have no chance, okay? So, but it is interesting. If you drive, you have to get further out now as we get developed around here, but like if you drive out of farms, depending upon the season you go, it, it's, it's a really interesting picture. Like there's that season where you drive by the farm, and it's like, are they just getting ready to develop this land? Because there's like weeds everywhere, and it, like, it doesn't seem, it's like in complete disarray, and you have no idea. And then, and then you come by another time, and it's like, wow, it's clean, and there's these beautiful rows, and everything looks good, but there's nothing happening. Like there's, it's just well-groomed land. And then you, you come out again, and you see things sprouting up, and you're like, is this the weeds again, or is this the fruit? And you don't know. And then as the season comes, you see, oh, look, it's a big whatever we get in farming around here that we eat, <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> That's the, that's the same thing if you think about it in our life personally and what the Lord is doing in others. So often, I'll look at my own life and be like, man, this is just a field of weeds. That like, I don't, I don't know where you're going to start, God. I don't know how you're going to make anything of this. And he's not worried about what's happening on the outside because he's doing something inside. And the same can be true. So many of you and many of us in the church today are so good at having our rows in order. And everything looks really good, like something's happening, but there's nothing happening underneath. And we're like, God, we need you to penetrate deeply and do the work. And some of us are starting to sprout out. And if we remain humble and say, this isn't our doing, it requires his sun, his water, his oxygen to make this thing happen. Like we can do nothing without him. And we stay steadfast in it. And the, the, the storms may come and the weather may come, but... If we trust his covering, his wings of covering, and let him produce the fruit that he's going to do, we will stand tall and see the beauty of the fruit. Who are we to believe that he is not doing that when he says he will complete that which he began in us? How, how dare I a judge and make a judgment on, Ryan, you're just not where you should be right now, believing that God isn't doing it at work because I might see a weed here or there in his life. May it not be so, church. May we be a people who are patient, willing to endure the suffering that comes because we know that that, that is momentary. And scholar says it this way. It says, what is commanded here is a firm adherence to the faith in the midst of temptation and trials. As we wait patiently for our Lord to return, believers need to fortify themselves for the struggle against sin and with difficult circumstances. This, again, only makes sense with the kingdom perspective. If it's just hold on until you die, that's not very motivating. If it's like, no, 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 be patient, endure, because the Lord is coming. Well, that's exciting. That's intoxicating. That's something to get our hands dirty with today. That's the, Let's get in that soil. Let's figure this out. Come on, Lord, help us work this out because you're coming and you're making me more and more like your son, Jesus. See, we will never remain steadfast or patient if our hope is on this earth. If your hope is to have the best 401k, you won't be able to, to hold tight and endure. If you're, you're, your hope is that you just want that spouse and 2.3 or 2.5 kids or whatever the average is right now. I don't know how you get 0.5 kids, just you know. If that's what your hope is, it's, it's, you're going to wane. You're going to fall short because it doesn't, it doesn't hold value. Yes, it's good. It's wonderful. It's a gift. Those are all great things, but that's not where our hope should rest. Our hope should be in the new heavens and the new earth. 
Our hope should be in the kingdom that we are a part of, that has been inaugurated by Jesus coming onto this earth, that we've been adopted into, not by our doing, but by his work, completed work on the cross and the grave. That's where our hope is. James gives us the key to understanding trials and suffering here. Peter tells us we shouldn't be surprised when it happens. Shoot, Jesus tells us that we're blessed when persecution happens. What are they all getting at? They're all getting at what Paul said in Romans 8. We may share in his suffering so that we may share in his glory as well. So if you find yourself suffering today, praise God you're sharing in the suffering of Jesus Christ. But it will end. And you will stand with his glory. In his fullness of his kingdom, his reign, his people, his place, his rule. I mean, he's even the light. We don't need the sun. No more tears. When I keep myself on that timeline, man, all this stuff in the middle, even Eagle Road, it's easy to be patient with. James doesn't say be patient so that tomorrow you get this. He says be patient for the Lord's coming. Our motivation isn't what happens tomorrow. Our motivation is that Jesus should return, please. Rid us of the brokenness once and for all. Help us to see our outer selves renewed that have been wasting away, as 2 Corinthians says this, 4, 16 through 17. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. Now, you got to pause for a second here. If you remember Paul's life, no one would say any of his affliction was light. (laughs) In fact, I would argue that at least in this body of believers, none of us have experienced the level of affliction that, that the apostle Paul did. And he still says it's light and momentary. James tells us our life is a vapor. It's a mist. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Why? He says, because what? It is preparing us for what? An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. There are no words to compare or even help us understand the the eternal weight of the glory that's coming. So be patient. Endure. Be steadfast. Don't, Don't make judgments at others. Who are we to believe that God isn't at work in others as he is in work in us? In light of the soon return of Christ as judge and delivers, the scholar says it this way. He says, believers need to imitate the farmer and the prophets in displaying patience with their situations and with each other and to imitate Job in the endurance of difficult circumstances. Church, you're going to go through hardship. You're probably in it right now. Some of you are experiencing deep dark days. But as God's word says, these are light, momentary afflictions that have no comparison to the eternal glory that's coming. Be patient. And this isn't a hold on tight, make it through the day. It's no, 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 be patient because what we're holding on to is the new heavens and the new earth when we can experience all joy without the brokenness that riddles our bodies today that's at war within ourselves, trying to to fight the flesh that we keep trying to put on that has been taken off as we've been clothed in his righteousness. Would you endure? Would you be patient? Um, In a second, we're going to do communion. And I just want to encourage you, if you're here today and and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, I just want to encourage you to to take a moment to go and and remember what God has done. it'd It'd be kind of a pointless exercise. Instead, I would encourage you to ask the question of, what is, what is, who is God to you? What is he doing in your life? Why are you even here? And I would argue and, and plead with you that, that you're here because um, you're impatient with yourself. 
you, you realize that like you've tried everything and nothing's working, um, I would encourage you to come to the, the most patient God ever, the one who will walk with you and complete and finish all that he began in you. If you want to talk to someone, me or anyone else here to pray with you, we'd love to do that. Um, during this next song after I pray, we'll grab the elements and then I'll lead us in communion. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, forgive me for all the ways that I have been so impatient with you um, and your work in myself and your work in others. Forgive me for the way that I um, continue to operate in such a proud position where believing others should know better than what the decisions are making. God, forgive me for not seeing sometimes maybe the very people that are annoying me are the people you've brought into my life to bring me to a better understanding of who you are in my sanctification journey. Forgive me for seeing others as a, a roadblock as opposed to an opportunity to know you better, serve you faithfully. Father, as we uh, move forward as a church, God, I pray that we would uh, reek of your patience, um, that we would be uh, men and women that are so patient because we know that um, we can't speed up your process or slow it down. Your timing is perfect. And Lord, uh, we plead, I plead, I plead today, um, come. <laughs> I pray that I would be fixated on your coming, but um, I'd ask that you come today, Lord. Um, until then, and, and until you come, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have the faith and the ability to walk by your Spirit's power to, to proclaim your goodness to all that we come in contact with. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.